I think the biggest challenge was the wartime CEO not having war in any way. So you go from having people relying on you to just not being needed at all. And you go from feeling this sense of importance that you can solve problems and you can diffuse situations and you can make people feel better to just not being needed at all. And that's so strange. And it can give your ego such a massive hit because you're like, does no one need me? (laughs) What's up? My name is CJ Finley and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's episode is with Jody Cook. Jody is an entrepreneur, author, and athlete on a mission to see what she is capable of and help others do the same. She created, scaled, and sold her marketing agency that she started at age 22. And now she educates others through her books and articles, which have been featured on Forbes and other publications. I really connect with her mission because Jody writes about how to run a business without letting it run you, how to live an extraordinary life while owning a business, and how to bring the best version of yourself into each and every day. On top of all this, Jody has also written books for both children and adults alike to inspire everyone to think creatively, challenge the status quo, and innovate to make this world a better place for us all. And when she is not doing all of that, you can find her competing for Great Britain in powerlifting competitions. This episode is stacked with great info on how you can carve your own path and thrive on life. So let's jump right into it and welcome Jody Cook to the show. What is up, Thrive Fam? CJ Finley here again with another episode of the Thrive in Life podcast. And today I'm tuning in virtually with somebody that is, I think, like eight hours ahead right now in Copenhagen, Mrs. Jody Cook. How are you doing today, Jody? Hey, I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm super pumped up and just grateful for your patience. I messed up the calendar invite a little bit here. Um, so we're doing this an hour earlier um, and appreciate you. But we're going to jump right into this conversation because we have so much that we're going to unpack today and a lot of synergy. Uh, you're literally blazing a path that I want to blaze myself and I think a lot of other people out there as well. And when I was looking at your background and saw that you started a company right out of college, I really wanted to pick your brain on where your mindset was at 22 to start something, scale it, and then sell it. Because most of us at 22, we're just looking for a job. We're just looking for that next thing. And we have no idea what we're doing, why we're doing it. But to start something at that age, I think is really admirable. And I'd love to understand a little bit more of what type of mindset you had to go and actually do it. Sure. Starting a business at 22 was made possible by what happened when I was five. So from when I was really, really young, it was just normal in my family that me and my little sister would book our own dentist and doctor's appointments. And it was just normal that we would pack our own suitcase for trips that we went on. And so anytime I had to book an appointment, my mom would be like, you know where the phone is, you know how to find the number, you know when you're available. So just do it yourself. And so I got this 
bug of independence from such a young age that that then translated into wanting to get a job as soon as I was old enough so I could buy a car as soon as I was old enough so I wouldn't have to rely on anyone else to drive me around. So when I was 16, I got a job in a restaurant and then I just kept working and kept getting new jobs every time I could. So it wasn't just a job in a restaurant. It was like, I did freelancing. I didn't even know the word freelancing. And yet I was doing little mini projects for my mom and her company and various different people I met. And then I went to university and I think I had probably three or four jobs every year, as well as some in the summer holidays. And by the time I was 22, what I worked out is that I'd already had 15 different jobs. So I always thought of getting a job. I was like, it's easy to get a job. You just you just ask someone or you just apply for one and then you get it. And then you go, you go to an interview and everything's fine. It's, it's so easy. And I couldn't understand why all these people I was on my course with really saw it as this difficult thing. And they were all like stressing out over their application forms. And I was like, why are you doing that? It doesn't even matter. So when I left uni at 22, and I did get a graduate scheme for a year first, but when I left that, I just thought I can get a job anytime, anytime in my adult life. I can just do this. I can apply. I can get one. It'll be fine. I'm going to start a business. And if I fail miserably at that, I can just get a job. So I think that everyone else's plan A became my plan D, probably not even D. It was like EF. I I thought (laughs) I'm going to start one business and then I can fail miserably at that and just keep going. And so that's how I managed to start a business at 22 because I wasn't scared of failing just at all because I thought jobs are easy to get. Okay. So at 22, you, you have the, the oomph, as I would say, is like, you have the why behind you. You're like, okay, getting a job is plan D or maybe Z. Like I'm never going to get a job. I'm going to figure it out. So you have that behind you. I think that's where there's a ton of people out there that deep down in their soul, they, they have that, but the, the how is really what is stopping them. So if we go back to when you were 22, obviously there's so many resources. Anybody can start a business in, in today's day and age. I mean, we're talking over Zoom and Zencaster and all these technologies now that just didn't exist a decade ago, which is really awesome. And then you have YouTube and you have all these resources that can help you. At 22, though, where you were at, what was the guiding factor and how you were actually going to get started? And what did that look like? Because I think a lot of people think they have to have all their ducks in the row, but anybody that started something knows that it, it's not like that at all. Yeah, I had zero ducks in any rows whatsoever. <laughs> but it was 2011 and social media was becoming a bit of a thing. It was super different then to how it is now. And I realized it was something that companies wanted to do and they didn't have anyone who could do it. And so I heard of this kind of role that was becoming available called a social media manager. I didn't learn that from university because even though I did a business management degree, we didn't cover social media at all. I think I just picked it up from, I read a business book back then and then that sparked an idea and then I researched something else and then I just thought, well, I might as well give this thing a go. Like, how hard can it be? So all I had in my head was I just need to get clients and how I need to do that is just meet people. So I just started going to networking events and I didn't have really a business plan. I didn't even have a company name. I named my company 
in two minutes while it was it, there was a, something going around the room where you had to get up and talk and I realized that everyone else had this company name and I was like oh I don't have one they're gonna all think I'm super unprofessional so I need to make one up right now so that's what I did that's on the awesome. spot. as I was waiting for my turn to talk I just came up with something and that's what stuck for the whole company's duration and then I just started meeting people and saying this is the work that I'm doing can I talk to you about doing it for you and then I found that people would be super nice and they'd say, yes, of course, I want to talk. Here's my business card. And they'd hand me a business card because that's what people did back then. And then my really naive, enthusiastic self would just follow them up and keep following them up until they agreed to talk to me. And then I'd keep following them up even more until they became a client. And then I found that once I had one client, that was the hard bit. And then the second was kind of easy. The third was easy. And then and then I had a company, I had a real company that wasn't just me pretending because I think there's a fine line between self-employed and unemployed. And before I had any clients, I was just unemployed pretending that I had a business. <laughs> but then once I had a client and then once I had more, I felt legit and then it made it easier to grow a business. Then's the hard part though. That's where I think also overwhelms is I heard this on one of the, it was either one of the podcasts or, or videos that you put out where we stop ourselves from being successful because when we think through that level of success, we're just like, Oh, can we do that? So you, you mentioned being unemployed and and then self-employed, but to go from like self-employed to CEO is completely different ball game because a lot of your roles are changing over the time. Alex Ramosi says like when you're the CEO, you're literally training someone to do your last job. You're doing your job and you're learning your next job. So when you're running a social media company at that time, what did your day-to-day -day look like and how did you go from, okay, you picked up the couple clients and these, the reason I'm asking these questions is because this is foundational knowledge for any company that you're building. Mm -hmm. I loved, I was reading your LinkedIn and it, you had like a one-line business plan where it was like, get clients. And yeah. I, that made me giggle because when you're starting anything, you should be focused on just testing the market. And the easiest way to test the market is get somebody to use your service or your product and then give you that feedback for you. You hit it at a time when social media started to like take off, which you were solving a big problem that not a lot of people I think were solving just yet. And that means that when you start picking these clients up, the fulfillment, obviously you can't just do it yourself. So what would your advice be to anybody out there that, okay, I'm self-employed. I got that down, but I want to go to this next step of being that CEO and what systems should they be implementing in that environment so that they scale effectively uh, rather than crash and burn? So for me at first, it was basic maths because I was selling clients a number of hours per week that I was doing. So it started off with three and then six and then nine and then it built up to 40. And that's when I was at a crossroads of thinking, do I just carry on doing this forever and just be a freelancer or do I start hiring people and start building out a team and that's when I started hiring people and building out a team but in hindsight when I look at what I was doing back then because I was so focused on keeping everything simple I was pretty nailed on with having one product or one service one customer avatar and one way of reaching them and that was social media management which back then was one thing now it wouldn't be because you'd have all these different platforms and everything and it was one customer avatar, which was marketing managers of small businesses or small medium businesses. And it was 
reaching them through networking and that was it and so I just kept doing that kept doing more clients so by the time I had 40 hours a week I knew that I could get to 80 hours a week by just doing the same thing so it gave me a lot of confidence to be able to hire and then keep hiring from there I love that what it makes me think about is you had like almost like a, a roadmap of where you were going and I think that's where <laughs> I fail at this um, is trying to take on too much and, and trying to serve too many people all at one time. And the, the quote I say to myself over and over again is um, if you try to be everything to every, everyone, you become nothing to everybody. So it sounds like you, you hit the nail on the head in the beginning of understanding who your customer avatar is, but I'd love to pivot this a little bit. What were, if you think back, what were the biggest struggles in getting your your business off the ground other than obviously it sounds like you're great at the networking in the front end and bringing in the clients but if you can think back what were some of those struggles because i know there's people out there right now like 2020 and on a lot of people have shifted what they want to do with their their life and where they even want to live in this world and being a a digital freelancer or nomad or creating an agency is something that's that's hot right now and since you're i would consider you somebody an og that is done it, uh, scaled it, sold it, uh, and that moved on to bigger and better things. What would your advice be based on those struggles that you've had to those, those people today? I say one of the biggest struggles was that I really enjoyed the selling, but the delivering and the execution, mm. I enjoyed it at first, but then I realized that that wasn't how I wanted to be spending my time. So there was this balance between selling the work and then delivering it, but really wanting to be selling again. So when I started hiring, it was like, how do I find people who can deliver the work to the standards that I expect whilst also being out and about selling and not wanting to micromanage, babysit, like watch over them. So finding people who had that attention to detail, that commitment to the company that I had, because obviously it was my company, and who wanted to learn stuff all the time because you couldn't have like five years experience in social media back then because it just didn't exist so I had to be predicting what people would be like in the future and I think that's hard as well especially just for a recent graduate fresh out of uni who you don't actually know if they know what they're talking about so there were quite a lot of struggles and I think if I was advising anyone on their way forward I would say don't be like rushing to get to the next stage the whole time because I'd be selling the work thinking when can I sell more work and not focused enough on the I need to just make this work amazing because I was just always thinking mm -hmm. about I was always nexting really you know like how you can have it in your day to day you can be having breakfast you can be talking about lunch you can be eating lunch talking about dinner sometimes I was like so excited about the next steps that I had to really like check myself to focus on doing that current stage well. Yeah, it's it's a catch-22 in the beginning because if you're running your own thing, you don't have that co-founder or somebody else that could be focused on the day-to-day -day where you can, you can almost be the nexting person, but you have to hire yourself. You have to basically get yourself out of the job title of the doer and then give yourself that visionary space. So... I love hearing all this because it relates so much. And I know there's a lot of people out there uh, that can get value from it, but let's, let's fast forward to, so you start, you scaled the company. What made you determine that you wanted to sell it? Because I think, again, most of us 
myself included, we think, okay, we're going to start a business, but we never really, there's a book called Start at the End. And we try to start at the end and like, oh, I want to build a business, sell it, make multi-million dollars, and then be an investor and a philanthropist. That's what we think in our head. But to actually get there and get to a point where you could sell something that you've created is one, pat yourself on the back because it's slim amount of people ever do it. But two, almost we can't really conceive it until it until it happens. So what was going through your mind when you knew that, okay, it was time to move on to something bigger and better and more, I guess, I know for me, fulfilling when you want to try something new and a new challenge. It doesn't always have to be something bigger or better. It can just be, I want to go learn how to run. That's what I've been doing the past two years. So um, yeah, what was your thoughts on that? So the bit in the middle is that I went from being someone who was running what I would call the Jody show, where I had all these people working underneath me, but they were pretty much extensions of me. They were pretty much clones of me and I was still managing everyone and I was still talking to clients and they were just doing the work. So I went from that to a completely systemized business because I wanted to travel and because I made it happen so I could travel. So there was this trip to Australia that my husband and I booked that was about three months in the future. We planned to go for five weeks and I thought, I can't do this. My business just will shut because it's only me that runs it. So that sparked a big process of systemizing everything, automating, delegating, eliminating it, making sure that stuff just ran without me. So that was a huge task. And I, I guess I don't want to necessarily like gloss over it, but it, that was a huge task. But when it was done, it meant that I had very much a lifestyle business and I, it didn't really need me that much. And so I could do the sales, but then I outsourced the sales and got some amazing salespeople in. And then I ran it so that I could travel for one month in every three. And I did that for five years until COVID hit. So in that entire five-year period, I wasn't thinking about selling at all because I was living the dream, like just having too much fun, owning it, but not really running it and traveling the world and training and writing books and doing all that other stuff. And then when March 2020 hit, we at the time had a lot of clients in events, travel and hospitality. So in a one-week period, we lost 25% of our client base. And so all the systems and processes I had involved, I had in place were all fine until something like a pandemic hits and no one knows what the hell to do. And you can't consult a manual for it because there is no manual for it because it's completely brand new information. So even though I had the most amazing, capable team in the world, I got so back involved to try and like turn my business back around and make sure that I still had one by the end of the, the next however many months. So it went from me not being very hands-on at all to me being stupid, like stupidly hands-on. It went from us emailing our database maybe two or three times a year to every single day, running webinars, making courses, just trying to speak to people and trying to like get the networking thing going again when we couldn't meet people face-to-face. So at the time, I remember taking my team members' fear away from them. I just thought, I can figure this out. I can take their fear. They're not going to do their best work if they're scared. So I'll just outwork coronavirus and I'll just try and like sort all this out and make it not a problem for them. And of course they realized what was going on. And so they 
got involved, did all the stuff, went over and above. And what ended up happening was we grew the company back to normal and then another 20% in the next four months. So that was like the craziest summer ever, summer of summer of 2020. And then by the end of that, I thought, what do I do now? Because I thought I can go back and have a lifestyle business again and do the travel and just, just do that again. Or, well, it was more like a but this could happen again and I could get this call again and this could happen and then I'd have to get way back involved and I'd have to almost go right back to the start. And I just didn't know if I wanted to do that again. I just thought, I think I'm done. <laughs> and it wasn't just that, but it was also that the team had just proven that they were so capable, so amazing. And I think better than just being the people who worked in my lifestyle business. And so I felt this sense of wanting to remove myself as a ceiling so that they could progress and do other things because I didn't have an ambition to run this like multi hundred person agency, but I knew that they were capable of doing a really good job in one. So that's when I thought, now's it, now's the time. We've just come off a growth period. Let's start to sell and that was the first time I looked into it I spoke to someone who I figured would know about this stuff because she had a really big agency that was about uh, eight or nine times the size of mine and she was super helpful she put me on to a consultant who talks about this stuff and he said great let's systemize your business let's create a deck so we can so we can work out how to sell it let's get your second tier management team in place and I was like I've literally already done all this like this is this was done ages ago and he's like oh okay you don't need me at all then I'll put you straight onto the broker so when I met the broker I managed to leapfrog probably about a year's worth of work because I'd already systemized the whole business and it didn't need me and then the broker laid out the process he said it would take about six months and it took six months and two days from start to finish of the entire sell my agency process What's up, guys? I'd like to take a second to thank you for tuning into this episode with Jody. I hope you are loving this conversation so far. But before we get back into it, I have an opportunity I want to tell you about. As we all know, life is hard. It can beat you down, have you feeling low, and make it seem like you are alone. I'm here to remind you, though, that the most worthwhile journeys, they are not meant to be taken alone. And right now, you have the ability to take action and join others, including myself, on the mission to make every heartbeat count. Head over to cjfinley.com and sign up for my daily newsletter, where I will be giving you information, impactful stories, tips and tricks, and access to a community who are focused on making an impact above and beyond themselves. You'll also have the perk of exclusive giveaways, potential shout outs, and possibly even some collaborations. The least that will happen is you will walk away into every day with an extra pep in your step. My promise is that I will always do my best to help you thrive on life. And this newsletter is one of the best ways for me to help you do so. So if you're looking to get to the next level of your life, connect with like-minded individuals and have a daily dose of info that will help you thrive, sign up for my newsletter at cjfinley.com. Now let's get back to the conversation with Jody Cook. I love all of that. And there's so many directions I want to go in, but I just selfishly want to know where were you at in the world when you lost 25%. I'd just come back from a trip to Hawaii and Miami. I was super excited about the year. I had all these travel plans in place and 
I remember coming back through the airport and people wearing masks and just hearing that there was this thing maybe about to go on, but didn't really think anything of it. So I was actually in Birmingham, United Kingdom, my hometown, when we lost 25% of our client base, which was probably a good thing. <laughs> what was your immediate thought? Like going, th- like, what was that feeling going through you? It was very confusing because it was happening gradually throughout the week, as gradually as that can be. But I was also really aware that those people who I was speaking to, our clients, were having such a worse time than us because, so we lost 25% of our business in one week, but they lost 100% of their business in one week. So it very much put it into perspective. But at the same time, there was a lot of, oh, it's nothing, you know, you'll be back in a couple of months. This isn't, this is going to be fine. So it was very confusing. But what I decided to do, having heard about what other agencies were doing, was just not wave contracts at people. I just thought, if they want to pause, if they want to leave, it's fine. I'll just be like, yeah, no worries. Come back when you're ready. And it was painful doing that because of how much it affected like the cash. But I know now it was the right thing to do because people came back and they brought their friends and they upped their contracts and they did all that stuff afterwards. But yeah, it was, it was terrifying. I asked that question also because I remember what it was like for me. Uh, I was in New York at the time for uh, kind of like a business retreat and we were planning all these events. Literally, it was a, an, a retreat where we were planning out events for the year and the nba in the us shut down that week when i was in new york and then i got on a flight and i was like one of 10 people on that flight and i was in my mind holy shit what is happening and i just i just signed uh, an expensive lease for a new little retail spot um that was for two years and i i know what that feeling was like and i just commend you for the way that you responded to that which to me sounds like a lot of resiliency hey i'll just everything's cool and i'll just continue to work and grind and and figure it out where was that instilled in you was that powerlifting because i know you have a passion for that and skill for that or was it your parents where was the mental resiliency just throughout the course of your entrepreneurial journey where did it start from and then how have you been not conditioning but how have you continued to grow that resiliency in what ways would that look like? That's a really good question. It might have come from powerlifting or just sport in general. I definitely remember at that time looking at my husband and being like, what the hell is happening? And him being like, I don't know. And then we made a little pact that we were going to make it the best year that ever happened to us. And it (laughs) sounds super cheesy, but at the time it was like, we need to just We know at some point in the future, this is going to be fine. We don't know when that is, but let's just assume that that will happen and work backwards from there. So that was the little kind of pinky promise that we made. And then it ended up coming true. I think it's probably got a lot to do with mom and dad and the fact that whenever I was younger and I'd committed to something, they would never let me give up on it. So it was like, you don't have to commit to this thing, but once you do, you're going and you're not you're not kind of dropping out or anything. I remember I did um, gymnastics for a while when I was little and we used to turn up on a Saturday morning and there'd be lots of the kids who just wouldn't turn up. They just wouldn't be there. So they'd read out the register and then they they weren't allowed. I mean, sorry, they they weren't present. And um, I remember that being like, oh, what's the point in that? Like, that's really silly. 
and that being a really bad thing to not show up for something that you've already committed to. So there's probably something in that that meant that it was like, well, this thing's happening, so we're just going to deal with it. And I'd also heard an analogy about peacetime CEOs and wartime CEOs. Oh, yep. And maybe there was something about the wartime CEO that just made me go, hmm, yeah, this is me. <laughs> and there's something quite enjoyable about knowing that you can keep your head when everyone else is going crazy and you can be that like solid mast when people are yeah, losing their shit. Thank you for sharing that and that quote. It's funny because anybody listening, I got connected uh, to Jody, thankfully, through our good friend, Angela. And Angela actually, every Thursday is with my buddy, Corey Lawson. Corey Lawson has been on the podcast before. Um, and I was coaching him on his health and wellness business. And he quit his job, I think, just about a year prior to COVID happened or like right or maybe a couple months before. And I used that quote on him. And I was like, man, up until this point, you've been a peacetime CEO. And now it's like wartime. This is, this is where the real people come out. And uh, fortunately, him, him and I both are, I honestly like the wartime one better because you just, I'm a problem solver. I love solving problems all the time. So when a lot of problems are thrown at you, you just feel fulfilled. You get this fulfillment that like you don't get. Obviously, you were traveling the world and, and things were on kind of autopilot. That is fun as well. But I, I also believe in the type of people we are that you, no matter if COVID happened or didn't happen, you would have gotten to the point where you're like, oh, I want a new challenge and yeah. I want to figure out how to do that. And that's really where I want to pivot this conversation is like, what are those challenges today? So you sold the company um, and I was looking at your website and you've written so much articles. You've been in magazines, Forbes, and different publications, and you've written your own books. What challenge did you have when you did sell that company? Because now it's, you have cash, you do have skills. There's a million places you could go. And for me, uh, I find myself asking myself the same question today because it's harder today than when I quit my engineering job, because back then it was like, I like personal, I like fitness. So where's the path to money? Oh, I'm going to personal train some people. But then as soon as I start learning entrepreneurship and gaining new skills, it's like every day I'm like, shit, like I could go in a million different directions and that could be over, it can be extremely overwhelming. So for you, one, was it overwhelming? Um, and then two, how did you start deciding which path you did want to go next? In the two months before selling before actually completing on the deal my biggest challenge was patience because I had a feeling it would happen because I'd signed the term sheet and the lawyers were working on it and everyone was working on it but I didn't know for sure and I didn't want to take my eye off the ball with my business because I thought if this falls through I'm still going to need to own it and run it and I didn't want to hurry up the lawyer's or the buyers, because I thought that would just annoy them. So I had all this quite nervous energy. And my team didn't know yet as well. They didn't know until right before we completed. So I had all this nervous energy that I just had to channel into something. So that was when I wrote the book that I've just published, 10 Year Career, because every morning I'd be like, okay, what do I do now? So I just made myself go down, sit on my laptop and just write nonstop for two hours until I had kind of expunged the nervous energy from my system. But then after completing, I think the biggest challenge was 
the wartime CEO not having war in any way. So you go from having people relying on you to just not being needed at all. And you go from feeling this sense of importance that you can solve problems and you can diffuse situations and you can make people feel better to just not being needed at all. And that's so strange. And it can give your ego such a massive hit because you're like, does no one need me? <laughs> what, are the, <laughs> what are the questions I need to ask now? And so get, I think getting over that took a bit of getting used to. Another thing is that my husband and I had talked quite a lot and visualized what would happen when we sold and where we'd go and what we'd do. And because it was still like mid pandemic, we, we couldn't do anything. So it was almost like, I might as well be running a business now because I can't do anything. And the gym was in the living room. And so it felt a bit like a strange existence for a little while. But um, the biggest challenge was not rushing into what to do next because that's all everyone wants to wants to know you know like if you get married you get asked when you're going to have kids if you have one kid you get asked when you're going to ha- have another kid you you always get these next steps questions and I just was not prepared for them at all so I remember someone asking me what I did when I met them in the gym and I just freaked out and I was like I have no idea I don't know who I am I don't know what I do I don't know what I'm defined by now and it was a bit strange figuring out the answer to that because I always think of myself as like entrepreneur writer athlete and so the entrepreneur had kind of gone and I still had writer and athlete but they're not the most important ones the entrepreneur side of it is the most important one to me so so yeah it was a whole huge minefield that I've probably only just come out the other side of so much um goodness in that and the the thing that hit me with me the most is where you're talking about you kind of were just unsure of your existence at that time where you said you had the, your gym in the living room and you might as well be running a company. And this is why actually I love that you brought up, you used writing as to channel your energy. Um, I forget where this was said, but it was, if you have a bunch of thoughts, write. And then there was this other, like, if you have a bunch of problems, take action. And they like light, laid it out in a way. And I find myself when I feel like I have pent up energy, that writing is a really good outlet for that. And that's where my next question is, did you learn how to write and articulate because of your entrepreneurial journey or were you writing prior to your entrepreneurial journey? The writing started out as journal entries. That was advice to myself. So I was running the business. I was going through all the challenges of running a business and I was just using writing as a way of just figuring it out and almost thinking, this is how I'm processing what's happening and this is how I'm solving it and I'm just going to put it all down there. And then through a sequence of different events that involved writing some kids' books and then getting a slot as a contributor on Forbes, I started having this platform to be able to write for entrepreneurs and that's when I started turning journal entries into articles on Forbes for entrepreneurs and that's when it became a serious writing thing but before that it was just it was for me it was like it was private I didn't even publish stuff anywhere and it felt quite 
raw and it felt quite vulnerable putting them out there at first because I was like this is genuinely like advice to my former self this is this is me solving what I was going through but then I found that the more honest and open I was the more feedback I got from people who were like it feels like you're speaking directly to me like how are you doing that are you in my head and then I thought I need to keep going with this because it's making a difference and I know it would have made a difference to me if I'd have read that stuff when I was going through the challenges so yeah I just carried on going from there as a result of the feedback I was receiving. What were you reading when you were going through those challenges? So did you have coaches? Did you have books? Did you take courses? What was, what were some of the things that you were doing in the day-to-day to grow? I read a lot of books and it's my favorite way of taking information. So I don't really, I never watch like TV or series or anything because I just don't really like taking information in that way, but I just read books just constantly. There's pictures from when I was younger of just falling asleep with a book on my face because, <laughs> because <laughs> I just awesome. got, got so tired. So my parents have got like multiple pictures of that happening. And it's kind of the same now. I just want to read all the time. And now I'm lucky to have lots of friends who are authors. So I work my way through all their books and then I just pick different things that other people have recommended. There's a site actually called Most Recommended Books that a friend of a friend started. And I recently covered them in Forbes because they have this list of the books that billionaires recommend and it's collated by them scouring the internet for different billionaires who recommended different books and then putting them in order of most frequent so at the moment I'm working my way through the list of books that billionaires recommend starting with principles but the inspiration can come from anywhere if anyone ever mentions a book that I should read I write it down and the first one that I'd say made the most impact was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And then after that, it was Four Hour Work Week. And those two books were what started off the whole lifestyle design. You can create a business that you're not a slave to and spark that whole chain of thinking. How do you read books? Are you front to back? Or are you just like pick up, read 10 pages? Are you like have a set time limit that you read? What does that look like? So I will download a lot of samples on my Kindle. I have a read through those. If it really grabs me, I just, I buy the book and I carry on. If it kind of doesn't, like, you know, there are some books where you can feel like you've got their entire vibe from the title and the subtitle. Like there's some, there's a book called, um, there's a book called Who Not How. And I remember reading that title and being like, yeah, who not how makes perfect sense. And then I didn't read the book because I felt like I had everything I needed. And that might be discrediting it. And it might be an amazing book, but I haven't read it. But I read the sample and then continue with it. And then I I persevere with them pretty well. I make a lot of Kindle notes. But if it really, really bores me, then I'll switch off. But by that time, I probably know because I've got that far through it. So yeah, I persevere, do it properly. Have you ever read The Almanac of Naval Ravikant? Yes, I love that book. I've highlighted a lot of that book. Yeah, it's, uh, I keep it here literally right next to me because anytime I'm looking for like just I spur of the moment ideas, um, I find myself going back to, to books like that. Yeah. Uh, but it's nice, to, it's nice to hear somebody else that is, loves to, loves to read. Um, it's something that I've picked up over the years and I find myself anytime I'm, I'm feeling a little bit stuck. I go back into that. I'm going to read a couple books mode. And it's one thing that I think really connects kind of our stories. The most is the passion for helping other people, um, create themselves into somebody that they love and, and feel like they can succeed at anything that they do in life. And that's where, what really caught my eye about what you were doing is when I went to your website and I saw that you you had created children's books and 
I'd love to understand a little bit of what the journey was to actually write children's books because of everything that's we've talked about through your story, like it's almost the exact opposite of becoming an author for children. And what inspired that and run us through a little bit of, of that story because that inspires me because really at the end of the day, our impact is what matters the most. We can we can always make more money, but we can't get back time. And the, a book is timeless. And if it could help thousands of kids out there become who they really want to become, like the, the amount of impact that you have is, is massive. And I, I highly respect it. And hopefully uh, one day I could say that I have accomplished the same thing. So the story for the kids books goes back to the thought process I had that I told you about when I was 22. And it was, I'm going to start a business because starting a job can be my plan D. And at the time, I remember no one else was doing that. They just didn't think it was possible. They just didn't have the confidence or they thought it was a risk or they didn't know what to do and they didn't back themselves to figure it out. And this baffled me. And I just couldn't understand it. I was like, why wouldn't you start a business? Why wouldn't you at least try? And what I realized is it comes down to someone's entire childhood and what they've been told and the influences they've had and how they view risk and how they view creativity, resourcefulness, resilience we've mentioned. And a lot of the time it comes down to the role models you have when you're young. So I was really lucky to have a mom who started her own business. So I knew what starting a business kind of looked like. And I had this idea that someone who runs a business goes networking and they take calls and they maybe have a slightly different voice on the phone to clients as they do when they're they're in a normal situation with their friends. And so I had this concept that was building up in my mind. But if you haven't got an entrepreneurial role model, you just don't have that. And so it it was looking at if you don't have a parent in business, where do your influences come from? And this might be a bit different in the US, but in the UK, we've got, so we've got the dragons on Dragon's Den, we've got the sharks on Shark Tank, we've got the apprentice where you've got Sir, uh, Lord Sugar like shouting at people and saying you're fired. And then you've got traditional jobs like Fireman Sam, Postman Pat, Bob the Builder. But Business people in the media are not very well represented. They're always these horrible characters. I don't know if you've seen the the Lego movie actually is quite a good one because the evil antagonist in the Lego movie is Lord Business and he glues all the Lego together so no one can play with it. And it's like, this is what we are teaching kids about business. This is what they think a business person is. So no wonder they get to 18, 20, 22 and they think, no, I don't want to start a business because their whole childhood they've seen business people as greedy, mean, sweaty, overweight, horrible things that they just would not want to emulate. So it was that thinking that was that led to being like, let's write these characters, let's write really positive entrepreneurial characters into storybooks so that they can inspire kids to want to start their own business when they grow up. So it was like a completely harebrained idea. I think it was it was conceived on a, it was come up with on a, on a plane. And then my husband and I decided that we were going to write books and we were going to find an illustrator and we were going to somehow get them available to be sold because how hard can it be? Right. Like other people have managed to do it so we can figure it out. And then, yeah, that was it. It was a series of four books that came with all these different teaching resources. The series is called Clever Tykes. There's um, Walk It Willow, Code It Cody, change it show and write it Ryan and then we set about selling them and getting them into the hands of kids and then um, this is quite 
interesting actually as well because we first managed to get them stocked in Harrods and Selfridges which in the UK are like super like premium expensive stores and we went and saw them on the shelves and looked at them and it was quite a cool moment seeing them seeing them there as a result of all the work we put in but then something didn't quite feel right about them being just in those stores and I think it was that we designed them and wrote them to be a tool for social mobility and the kids whose parents shopped in those stores were probably not the ones that needed them the most so that's when we hatched a new plan that we were going to get sponsors to gift them to primary schools or elementary schools and in the UK there are 24,000 primary schools and so we thought we'll get banks or airlines or supermarkets and we'll get them to sponsor like five or ten schools at a time and we'll get them to gift the books into the school so the kids can just have them for free and they can have an online kind of thing where they can download our resources. And we got a few of these signed off and it just took ages. So every five schools that we got signed off, it was like three meetings, a giant proposal, loads of back and forth emails, loads of following up, like, and then you had to manage all the printing and everything else. And it just took ages and we were like, the math doesn't add up here. This is going to be, we're going to be like 120 by the time we cover every school in the UK. We need a different plan. And so that's when we decided that what we were going to try and do was find one sponsor to gift the books to all 24,000 schools in the United Kingdom. And weirdly, it felt easier because now rather than finding like a thousand like ten thousand different sponsors we just needed to find one and we just needed to think bigger with everything we did so um set about this journey of just getting on people's radar and telling as many people as we could what we were doing and then as a result of that managed to find that one person who could say yes and then the books went out, they were gifted to all 24,000 primary schools in the UK. And we managed to reach like 6 million kids with these entrepreneurial role models that we just created on a whim, having thought of it on a plane. Wow. So inspiring. And the biggest takeaway for me goes back to what you were saying in the beginning, where we don't realize how we are influencing the next generation. And it's specifically with business. It's I didn't even know, like, I didn't even think about the, that's what I'm saying. Like, we don't think about how in the different media types that we're showcasing to kids, what business is, is portrayed as. And I go back to thinking like here in America, like the backbone is small businesses. So even as a kid, like we're getting portrayed that it's, if you're watching the Simpsons, it's Mr. Burns, you're, you're getting portrayed that that's the business. That's what business is rather I forget the character's name that's running the gas station. That's the reality of most of the businesses here in the US. Like every corner, there's a small business or somebody running a business and it's not glamorous. It's really nice, genuine, authentic people that are, they created something to feed themselves and, and their families and and really root themselves in the community. And I love that you've created an outlet for kids to to see that side of the world. And it leaves me thinking, is your next idea a school? <laughs> like how do we create it so that not just one book is there, but how do we how do we get kids understanding that this is a this is a pathway to a better life 
because the biggest thing for me is like time we can't get back. And I, I've thought this through and that's why I really connected with this part of, of your story is I'm struggling to understand like when I hopefully am blessed with kids in the future, how can I send them to a desk for eight hours a day? I just can't, it will not happen. So I'm trying to solve that problem where they're having creative outlets and maybe starting businesses when they're five years old. And so I'd love to ask you if you, like you had the book and then you got it out to all these schools, which is amazing. Have you thought any more in that path or conceived any other ideas that can parlay off of getting those books out to the kids? Good question. Yeah, I think the hard thing for me anyway, just with a crazy entrepreneurial mind that comes up with ideas all the time is like you can solve one or two problems really well, but you you can't solve all the problems really well. And as hard as it might be, as much as you like to think you can. So the whole thing around social mobility and inspiring the next generation of entrepreneurs and all that kind of stuff are thinking with the clever types books that we don't actively push them as like a company but they sell and they reach people and we get cute emails from kids who read them and they want to know if the characters are real and everything else but um our thinking was just see the whole thing as a big collaboration so there's no there's no such thing as competition like even if someone else released a series of kids books around positive entrepreneurial role models like they're not in competition with us we're all trying to do the same thing this audience renews every single year because kids grow up so we're doing a lot of that kind of stuff and writing about other people who do the same things and they pick up our books and they run classes and they do them they do things with them with their own work so it's more a case of working out where our unique skills lie and following that path rather than trying to do too much and spread ourselves too thinly but I agree it's a yeah it's a huge problem that needs to be solved but I think there are lots of amazing organizations doing stuff with this one of them um, is a there's a school called Galileo, and it's just incredible. Like when you check it out, you're like, "This is the school that I wish I'd gone to." And it's it's like well, it's in the um, there's a similar sentiment in the Almanac of Naval Ravikant, which is like teach kids how to solve interesting problems, teach them how to figure out how the world works, teach them how to communicate, all that kind of stuff. It's like that's what that school's doing, and that's only one example that I know of. So there will be lots of others that are doing cool stuff. The no competition is something that I live by, that one of our mottos at Thrive is strive together, thrive together. Uh, rising tides lift all ships uh, is another one. It's We're all trying to solve the same problem and help people. So at the end of the day, that's what we should be focused on. And it's great to hear other people focus on that same thing. But we're getting close to the last couple of minutes of this conversation. And I wanted to finish on two parts. It's one, I wanted to kind of dig a little bit into your powerlifting background and how that started and how it's going. and what impact that has had on your life and then allow you to finish with the book that you've written and, and released and sounds like it's coming soon to the Americas. And I would love to get that book out to as many ears that think it could serve them as possible. So let's start with the, where in your journey did, did powerlifting start? And I'll just let you take, take it wherever you want to go. Powerlifting started properly about six years ago. Before that, I was a runner, and then I used to go to the gym and do what a lot of people do when they go to the gym, which is go on the cross trainer for 10 minutes, vaguely wave some dumbbells around, and then stretch, and then go home and say, yeah, that was my workout. And then that turned into learning how to squat. And then learning how to squat 
turned into realizing that I was quite strong and meeting someone who competed in powerlifting and he was like you should look at competing too because I think you'd hold your own against the girls who are doing it right now and so that led to checking out the numbers that other people were hitting and realizing that I could do all right um in a competition and then one competition led to loads more and now I compete twice a year so at the start there's the English championships or the British championships and then how well you do in that lead depends on whether you can do an international later on in the year so that's um last year I did the European championships and then this year I've got the Commonwealth in New Zealand so the thing that's cool about powerlifting is that it's the squat the bench press and the deadlift you can do it anywhere you want in the world pretty much it's not it doesn't tie you down at all it's cool to go and join other gyms and meet other powerlifters and I really like how it's always focused on the numbers and always progressing so there's no there's no point looking at your numbers and being emotional about it it just it is what it is you're either getting better or you're getting worse or you're staying the same and I like that you can apply the same personal development as you do to business and writing and anything else to the numbers that are right in front of you and then you can do better in a competition so I really love it as a sport and I love that it's growing as a sport especially for women what is the most transferable skill that you've learned from powerlifting that also parlayed into your business world I didn't think of this before until we talked about the pandemic and that hitting the business and then being like, ah, what are we going to do? But the phrase that popped into my head was, this is what we train for. So, you know, like when you're about to go and lift a heavy deadlift and, and you're like, you're so excited about doing it and you just cannot wait. And you know, there's that moment where it breaks the floor where it's like, that's the kind of, that's the painful bit or that's the hard bit. And then once you've broken that, it's like easier from there almost. I feel like, I feel really excited to lift up a heavy deadlift or a heavy squat or a heavy bench because I'm like, yes, I've like earned the right to put this weight on the bar because my coach believes that I can do it. And um, maybe it's similar in business. It's like when really, really hard stuff happens and you know that you have to deal with it, that's another case of earning the right to deal with it. Like the only reason the March 2020 was so painful is because I had a really cool business that then took a hit. And if I didn't have a really cool business, it wouldn't have mattered what was going on because it wouldn't have been affected. So something to do with being able to back yourself and being able to do the stuff that really matters when it gets tough. I love the quote, this is what we train for. It's, it's almost like you're confident when everybody else is afraid. It like earns you the right to be confident when everyone else is fearful of what's to come. And then also for me, what you just reminded me of is, is gratitude because you just mentioned that you had this really cool business that was doing really well. Well, how many people just never get to that point? And like when we're talking powerlifting or anything that's like athletic, I remind myself because I look at my past, I'm like, oh, like I could have been a pro at something. And I'm just like, I only reached... XYZ level, but how many people never even make it to that level? So it's it's always like reflecting and having that gratitude of I competed in bench press competitions in college and and every year, like that was the reflection for me was I didn't win. I came in third or fourth or fifth or whatever. But it was like, damn, like I remember when I couldn't even bench. I was just this scrawny little kid. So just I think being in the gym always is a reminder of that and that if you can do that in business as well, because 
I think a lot of people, just like you were talking about in the very beginning of this episode, get on to the next thing. It's just always the next thing rather than saying, damn, I'm a badass. I got to this point and most people don't get to this point, but how can I continue to refine and, and be resilient? Um, so I love everything that you're talking about there. And then this whole conversation has been amazing. I, I just really appreciate you and being willing to share your story. And I'd love to end it with just giving you the floor to talk a little bit about the book that you've written and and who's it for and who can it serve. And then that way, anybody else that's listening here on the other end can go to wherever they need to go to buy the book and, and support you, Jody. Sure. Thank you. So yeah, the new book is called 10 Year Career with the subtitle, Reimagine Business, Design Your Life, Fast Track Your Freedom, because that's just everything that it's all about. So it's available at 10yearcareer.com. I think it's a super useful tool for entrepreneurs at any stage, especially those who kind of suspect that they're capable of more than just the default or more than just the regular path that everyone else follows. This is like the blueprint on how to do it. So it starts off actually talking a lot about schooling and the ways in which we are trained out of thinking for ourselves because I just think it's everywhere and until you tune into menu design and school design and the things that are just happening all around us you don't know and you just follow blindly and then it talks about how someone could go about realizing what they're capable of and actually living it like not just finding it out and then not doing anything about it but doing living the life and applying it to their business as well and then we've got the 10-year career framework. And so it's a four-step framework that goes execute, systemize, scrutinize, and exit. And the framework's kind of dotted in throughout the book, and it talks to entrepreneurs about what to do at each stage. And I think the most useful thing about the framework is it's this antidote to bad advice, because there's some advice that is so perfect for your execute phase, like be everywhere, go to every event, chat to everyone, do things that don't scale, be really busy, that would be absolutely terrible at the scrutinized phase when you've extracted yourself from the business and you're trying not to get too involved. So it's like, it becomes this filter. So when you read books and you hear advice, you can go, is this right for my stage? And if it's not, you can just ignore it. And if it is, you can apply it. So there's lots, oh yeah, the book's like jam packed with lots of stuff. It's, it's got a companion course. It's got a bunch of additional stuff and it's been super useful for entrepreneurs so far so it's out in the UK already and the feedback's been really cool and what's been kind of awesome but kind of strange is to hear people repeating the framework back to me as if it's this like real thing and I'm like yeah it is it is a real thing so um so yeah it's a it's a very useful tool and I'm super excited for everyone to read it awesome and they can go check that out at tenurecareer.com yes that's right Awesome. All right. So we end the podcast the same way um, every single time. And the first way is anybody that loved this conversation here today and would love to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Best way to reach me is at jodiecook.com. So J-O-D-I-E-C-O-O-K. And my Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, everything else is all linked from there. Awesome. Please reach out to Jody if this conversation has impacted you in any way. There's a lot to learn. Um, and then last question I always ask everybody is if I were to ask you to define thriving, so if you're living in a thriving type of way, what would that look like to you? To me, thriving means 
not letting yourself get away with anything other than the most that you can possibly do and applying that to every area of your life. So it's like not just how you run your business. It's not just how you lift your weights. It's like, it's how you brush your teeth. It's how you like address your partner. It's everything. Because I think that if you are that person in every part of your life, you just become that person overall. And I think it's a skill that can be trained as well. Amazing response. The way you do one thing is the way you do everything. I love that. can tell you're an entrepreneur with that thinking and also an athlete. My biggest takeaway from this podcast is similar to what you just said. And it goes back to when we were talking about your children's books. You talked about how you were on a flight and you came up with the idea and then you told yourself, okay, like this to get the book out there has already been done before. And something I think that a lot of us stop ourselves from, from realizing is that we don't have to do everything ourselves, one, but two, going back to the way we do one thing is the way we do everything. It's really understanding that since when we were kids, we were putting ideas out into the world. We were conquering new things. We went from grade one to two to three to four to five, so on and so forth. And then I think a lot of people, once we get into the career world, because there's no blueprint for them, they struggle. And I'm really inspired because you're recreating that blueprint for a younger generation. And then also for the adult generation with the book that you released and helping them understand that like a career doesn't have to be 40 years. A career can be however you want it to be and you can label it and define it and mold it and recreate it. And I'm a big believer in like, I don't care what people say. I watch what they do and just going on your website and, and seeing what you're doing and see all the things you have done and where you will be going uh, is really inspiring. And I'm just thankful that I got an hour of your time here today and, and very much looking forward to getting this conversation out there. So thank you so much, Jody. Looking forward to continuing this conversation off the podcast. But until next time, everybody, please reach out to Jody, get her book, support her. Um, let's get more entrepreneurs and more creative thinkers out into the world. We need it. This is CJ Finley with the Thrive On Life podcast. Thrive on, y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive On Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive On Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.